0: Thank you for joining us for Time in the Chapel. Each week we eagerly try to discover what God has been saying to us since time began and even further back than that. Sometimes it's right on the surface. Sometimes we have to dive a little bit deeper, but either way we do our best, lean not on our own understanding, in all our ways acknowledge Him and expect that He will direct our paths. So grab your Bible, prepare your hearts and minds, hit the pause button long enough to pray for the help of the Holy Spirit, and then join me as we open up the treasures of God's Word. I'm not an ordained minister. I'm not a trained theologian. I never went to Bible college or seminary. My background and expertise in no way qualifies me to do this in the traditional sense. That notwithstanding, a few years back, I decided to answer a call that I believe I've had all my life, and that is to serve God. In 2009, Catherine and I formed Chapel Ministries, and we began teaching out of God's Word. Only a few years later, we started this program, Time in the Chapel. Chapel Ministries is one thing, Time in the Chapel is another. Time in the Chapel is our teaching program. We first went on commercial radio in 2012. We stayed on the radio for a couple of years, left for a couple of years, went back for a couple more. And now we exclusively stream Time in the Chapel over the web. Now, from what I can tell, we've never been short of listeners, just short of supporters. This program, Time in the Chapel, does not add much to the bank account of Chapel Ministries. In the eyes of the world, we've not really been overly successful. Nonetheless, we press on with our calling, and we, can, we will continue to do so as long as He enables us. Now, of course, one thing we do receive in abundance is advice. The one suggestion we get quite a bit is that we should broadcast on some Christian radio station, or perhaps put our program on some other Christian-focused media outlet, maybe even produce a television program and then air it on Christian television. Well, the following represents my philosophy on those things, and as such, is typically proffered in response to these and similar suggestions we refuse to be associated with any existing so-called, and I mean that in a very negative way, so-called Christian broadcasting effort. And I know that surprises most people. Some assume, well, birds of a feather flock together. Well, that's true. But we do not consider ourselves of that feather, and therefore we do not flock therein. You see, my opinion of most Christian broadcasters is not very high. Despite what you may think it should be, most of the programs that are on Christian television and radio, radio to, to a lesser extent, most of the programs are not God centered, but rather man centered. Bring in the crowds by making God out to be some rich relative that's just waiting to hand out goodies. Way too many ministries today push what I call the Janet Jackson line of thinking. You know, what have you done for me lately? The message on most contemporary Christian programs is get what you can from him. Use God like an ATM. Don't think about him until you're running low on funds. Concentrate on what's on the king's table and not the king himself. I refuse to be a part of that. I refuse to be associated with that, and that's why we don't appear on religious stations. I want to build a congregation of people who want to serve God without selfish motivation. I want to build a following of Christians who see what our real status is. We are the sons of God, and our Father expects us to be engaged in the family business. He has called us to assist Him in bringing about the kingdom. Modern-day Christians, in large part, have no real connection to God. Modern-day Christians, in large part, don't view this as a real relationship. A relationship with all the same rights, privileges, and yet responsibilities as any other relationship. All relationships are based on mutual love, respect, and effort. But don't just take my word for it. Listen to what Jesus has to say. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. John 15, 1. continuing on with verse 2, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing." If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. By the way, as as a side note, let me say that if anyone ever comes up to you and sincerely wants to know what it means to be a Christian, tell them to read John chapter 15. This famous passage perfectly describes the entire relationship we have with God and His Son. Now, I'm going to warn you, there are lots of things going on here, and we only are able to cover a few. We must do our best to focus and concentrate. I've said before that it it takes so much more than just reading Scripture in order to find out all that God wants us to know. We have to really make an effort to study what's there. Now, I've discovered that one of the most valuable things to do in our effort to understand God's Word is to study the customs and culture that surrounds some of the stories. I've shared that with you before. It helps us to understand the context. When we understand the culture of the time period represented in the passages, we're better able to get a an idea of the meaning of the references, the meaning of the allusions and examples that Jesus and the others are employing to make their point. If we don't take the time to understand the culture, the terminology, then we may not fully understand what's going on. The culture of the ancient Jews, unlike Our society today, unfortunately, was deeply rooted in their religion. Their culture was their religion. They defined themselves by their connection to God. Here in John chapter 15, Jesus is appealing to the imagery of of the Jewish people of his day to illustrate a very significant point. The Jews at the time saw themselves as the so-called vine of God, and we'll get into that specific imagery in a moment. Now, it's true that throughout the Old Testament, we do see Israel portrayed as a vine or even a vineyard. For example, Isaiah 5-7, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant." Now, remember, vines and plants are cultivated to produce fruit. If they do not produce fruit, then they are not of use. How about Jeremiah 2.21? Yet I had planted thee a noble vine, holy a right seed. How then art thou turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? In fact, throughout the book of Jeremiah, we see God describing Israel as a vine, and similar references exist in the books of Ezekiel, Hosea, and even the book of Psalms. And this concept became very pervasive as time went on. You see, when somebody is giving you what you think is a compliment, well, you like to make sure that gets published, don't you? Sometimes I see on LinkedIn when somebody gets mentioned, one of my connections gets mentioned in the news. They kind of like to let you know that. Hey, check me out in the Wall Street Journal. The vine became a symbol for Israel. They felt it was a compliment They were being complimented. God was calling them the vine. There was a time when their coins actually had the image of a vine, presumably as a reference to themselves. There was even a golden vine on the front of the holy place in the temple. So at the time of John chapter 15, to those gathered around Jesus the symbol of the vine, the importance of the vine was quite well known and established in their religious psyche. I can even see the little smirks come on their face as they were seeing that Jesus was about to talk about vines. But then he says something, well, kind of shocking. He said, I am the true vine. That statement Stunned them. Who who are you? You're the true vine. And the way he said it was he was saying he was the genuine vine. It's not that he was replacing them. He was saying that all along the vine has been speaking of him and not them. He was turning their idea of themselves. He was turning their culture, their religion on an end. You see, the religion of the Jews was their identity. They defined themselves by it. And here, as he so often did, Jesus challenged their ideas of what the truth actually was. Jesus said, I am the true vine. Well, we thought we were the vine. Can you imagine? I mean, in front of them now stood this man who is not all that well-respected, can I say. Some respected him. Some feared him. Some looked down on him. But none of them expected to hear that. You're the true vine. You're, You're not only the vine, but the true vine, the genuine vine. The reality vine, the real vine, that was the word choice. Not only the vine, but the genuine vine, not them, him. Can you imagine the silence that fell over the crowd, the shock they must have felt? Listen, I know I'm repeating myself. I'm doing so purposely in an effort to communicate the magnitude of what he said. Up to that point, for as long as anyone could remember, the Jews considered themselves a privileged and special people. So privileged and special, they moved themselves in front of God and his plans. They felt like God and His plans followed them. The nation of Israel saw itself as the vine of God, as the source of the flowering of the kingdom on on earth. But now this carpenter's son comes around and flips that whole idea on its end. Now, was He contradicting Scripture? Was he saying what was written was wrong? No, it was the people that had misread what was written. written. It was the people that had misinterpreted their proper place in God's plan. Is any of this sounding familiar? Because I'm not trying to give you a lesson in ancient Jewry. I'm trying to tell you the same situation is now present In the church. This whole thing isn't about you, he was telling Israel. It's about me. They were shocked. By the way, this is why I tell you all the time. If Jesus wasn't the real deal, there would have been nothing to like about him if what he said about himself wasn't true, it would be nothing short of total and complete arrogance. In fact, an arrogance rarely seen any time in history, certainly not in someone considered a foundation of civilization as Jesus was. We don't worship arrogance, do we? We don't put arrogance on a pedestal. Sure, there are some weak personalities that do seek out someone who at all costs will lead them. But by and large, we don't look up to hyperbolic overconfidence. We reject people who think too highly of themselves, don't we? I mean, I always think about the NFL. Why do you think we penalize, or used to, anyways, penalize for excessive celebration? Because we don't like people who are arrogant. We don't tolerate people who inflate their own self-worth. Unless, of course, they can prove it. If Jesus was not who he says he was, then he was simply a jerk going around telling people that the universe centers on him because that's what he said. Who says stuff like that? If what he says was not true, then there's nothing redeemable about his character. Now, why do I say this all the time? Why do I bring this up all the time? Because there's no middle ground. You cannot dismiss Jesus as a good and wise prophet. Good and wise people don't go around lowering your view of you while elevating your view of them. Unless it's true. Either he is what he says he is or he's a jerk. You cannot Give Jesus a pat on the head and ignore what he says about himself. I mean, give the religious leaders of his time some credit. That's how they saw it. They didn't just smile and give Jesus some half-hearted respect. They had him murdered for being what they thought was a blasphemer because they listened to what he said and they didn't like it. There was no, believe me, there was no political correctness in ancient Palestine. For centuries, the Jews thought that every action of God was meant to glorify them, to push them ahead, to push their agenda ahead, to make them the rulers of the earth, to elevate them. They took their chosen status as to mean they were special. Now this guy is telling them they got it all wrong. At best, he was telling them that they were simply a tool in God's hands, that they were simply a conduit through which he would be glorified, through which he would be elevated, Jesus said, I am the true vine. Why are you saying this, John? Are you trying to insult the Jews? Of course not. I love the Jews. But I'm trying to point out the foolishness of all mankind, as is almost always the case. The lesson Jesus was teaching the Jews applies to the church. And that, I believe, is why this John chapter 15 made its way into the New Testament. We need to hear this as much as those gathered around Jesus did 2,000 years ago, but now the application is much wider. This entire passage relates as much to the current mindset, the mindset of modern Christians, as it did the Jews of Jesus' Jesus's time. In fact, this is a universally applicable concept. Jesus is declaring no one is born into any special status. No one is given some sort of pass just because they're associated with a people, nation, or religion. It's all about Christ. The Jews are special because it is from the Jews came Christ. He came first to save them. He sent out His apostles first to save them. Because they're important. Not for themselves, but for what they can do to move God's agenda ahead. It's wrong how they saw it. They didn't realize that their agenda was to move Christ ahead, not themselves. It's all about Christ. You hear me? Not you. Not me. Not capitalism. Not religion. Not the good old USA. So-called Conservative Christians in this country walk around declaring that being an American somehow carries with it some special God-given badge of honor. And if it weren't for America, the mess in the world would just continue. That America's the savior of the world. Wrong. America, in its arrogance, created the United Nations thinking the United Nations will pull it all together. There's not been a day without war since they established the UN. Without Jesus, there's no peace. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about being a Jew. It's not about being a Christian. It's not being about being a Catholic or Protestant. It's about Jesus. He is saying that it's not your nationality. It's not your religion or even your nature that gets anything done. It is your attachment to Him that gives your life purpose. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Jesus establishes that it's about him, but you have a role to play. And the Father has a role to play. One of the toughest messages to get across in the modern world is that we're all called to service. Now, I'm not talking about preaching or teaching or pastoring, but we're all meant to serve. I've often referred to what I call the target market for chapel ministries. Most of our lessons are geared toward what I call mature Christians. We center our teaching on people who call themselves believers, but have somehow become disillusioned or distracted or confused. When you accept Christ, your journey begins, not ends. Jesus called it being born again for a reason. It's a new life. But once you accept your salvation, you also accept an obligation, an obligation that applies to that new life. Paul once famously said, ye are not your own, ye are bought with a price. He also says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, it Some say that that just means I have to stop smoking or I have to stop drinking or I have to stop swearing or going to the movies. Now, that may be necessary for you. But what this passage from Romans, the one that says to present your bodies a living sacrifice, the reason behind that, the reason why Paul told us that, was that we are to give ourselves in service to God. That's what this life is about. Without your connection to God, you're worthless. And then once you are saved, you are called to service. That's what this is about. John chapter 15 is for the saved, for people that have given their life to Christ. They have said, I am yours. This message is to describe to you that you that is not the end of your obligation. Your obligation only begins there. We are called to be a sacrifice. Paul said, a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice functions. It moves. It produces. In ancient days, The sacrifices were actually killed as part of the presentation to God. Well, we, as sacrifices, are much less useful dead, and that's why we're called to be living sacrifices. Sacrifices are things set aside, things given to God for His purposes. Those sacrifices in ancient Israel were killed for a very specific purpose to show that there would be bloodshed. to please God. That was the purpose of those sacrifices. Your purpose is not the same as that. Your purpose is to carry on now. Your purpose is to carry on what those dead sacrifices couldn't. You have been set aside. You have been made holy. You have been given into service for God. That's what Jesus is saying. Your living, your life is to be geared toward serving God. I repeat, by the way, this does not mean God wants us all to join the clergy. This does not mean you are to go out to the mission fields. It may mean that for you, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. Your relationship with God and his plans for you are personal. He has been with you all your life, guiding you in a certain way so that at the point where you gave your life to him, all of his effort before would then be focused and concentrated on what he has for you. Well John I'm 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 a plumber. How, how can I serve God as a plumber? By going out there and showing people that plumbers can serve God. I can have faith. I can praise him. I can go to church. I can answer the question, why do you go to church? Because I love him. Because it's the house of the one I love. Why don't you come with me? I'm a little embarrassed. All right, here, read this. It's a book called the Bible. Just a minor example. Go to the bedside of a sick friend. Tell them that Jesus is, is there with them. Tell them that Jesus heals. I don't know this Jesus. Here's a book. Read about him. You don't have to be pushy. You don't have to be weird. You just have to be you in the service of Christ. But that has to be your mindset. That has to be your desire. You have to want to do that. And if even if he asks you to do something weird, you have to be willing to do it. You have to be more interested in His glorification than your own embarrassment. I don't know. I'm just giving you examples. I don't know how God is dealing with you. I know how He's dealing with me. And time in the chapel is on the air. It's your responsibility to find out what your purpose is. And the way you do that is ask God. You're in a relationship with Him. Now, he may not give you the answer right away. He may make you wait just to see how sincere you are, how willing you are to endure for his sake. Perhaps your purpose is to find some floundering ministry somewhere, roll up your sleeves and get in the fight with the teacher. Shameless plug. Perhaps your purpose is to simply be a beacon of faith and love for the world. I don't know. All I know is that we are all called. Listen to the words of Jesus again. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Vines in ancient Palestine grew everywhere, still do. There are, of course, several different types of vines. Let's focus for the moment on the grapevine. I think that's the one most of us think about when we begin a conversation like this. Grape vines are very important to the people of the region because they produce a very useful fruit. Grapes and grape leaves, of course, are edible, but they're also the raw materials in the winemaking process. Now, in ancient days, that was far more important than it is today. In ancient days, drinking water was very dangerous. As you know, water-borne diseases can be quite deadly. And if sanitation is not strictly maintained, water is really no better than poison. In addition, in that region, in Palestine, then and now, Even if the water was safe, it was scarce. Wine became a very important substitute. Again, still is. Therefore, vines and the fruit they produce are important. But they're not the easiest plant types to cultivate. They take special care in order to be productive. And by the way, The branches of the vine cannot make themselves produce fruit. They must rely on the vine, and they must rely on the husbandman. We'll get to that in a minute. It takes a lot to get a branch of a vine to produce fruit. The soil has to be right. It has to be clean. It must have the right nutrients. It must be fed properly the one who's in charge of the vines and the vineyards is referred to in the Bible as the husbandman. I just mentioned that. Well, the husbandman takes a great deal of care, painstaking care, to make sure that his plants are fruitful because it is from his efforts, the husbandman, through the vine that the branches produce. Are you starting to see that we're talking about spiritual things? This imagery directly relates to God and his dealings with his people through Jesus. And Jesus himself said that God was the husbandman. It is God who takes the effort and the time to make sure the vines and vineyards are well taken care of. Now this is where the Jews got it wrong and this is where the church gets it wrong. The care given to the branches to produce fruit is not so that they can eat their own fruit. Fruit is nothing more than a seed that drops into the ground and dies and produces other fruit. The care that the husbandmen gave the Jews as well as the church is not so that they could live a luxurious, self-interested life. The Jews thought the husbandmen existed for the vine. The church thinks the husbandmen is for the vine. Wrong, wrong, wrong. The care, all the care that the husbandman puts into the vineyard, into the vines, is to get them to produce fruit. And you know who benefits from the production of the fruit? The husbandman. The production of the fruit does not directly benefit the branches. It benefits the husbandman. doesn't mean the husbandman doesn't love the branches. The branches are important to him. He takes great care. But not for them. For himself. So they produce fruit. Well, how does that happen? How can we produce fruit? I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. That's how you bring forth fruit. In fact, that's how you bring forth much fruit. Jesus tells us, in order for us to produce fruit, we must abide in him. The original Greek word is meno. And meno means to stay. Don't move. Don't wander. Abide. Stay. Stick around. Stay close. This is an incredibly important message for all saved sinners. Listen to me. We live in a world of distractions and confusion. Now, we are truly a connected society in so many ways, and that's a good thing sometimes. But in many ways, it's not so good. We have a lot of choices as to the source and amount of information that we receive. Now, in the old days, worship services were restricted to the church down the street, where I could get to by walking. And certainly that was not always ideal. Now we're able to shop around, if you will, for our church. And that isn't always a bad thing. I've always said that if you're not being properly taught where you now go to church, you must find a place where your soul can be filled. Don't go to church just to go to church. Go to church so that it makes you a better fruit bearer. But there's also danger in that. You see, unfortunately, too many people do that shopping around I just mentioned until they find a place that meets their own standard. Well, John, isn't that what you just told us to do? No. I tell you to find a place that meets God's standard. How do I know what that is? It's in the Bible. And if you're abiding in Christ... He'll tell you. You'll know if you center your life on advancing in your relationship with him, not in your relationship in society, not in your relationship with others. If you're interested in serving him, he will guide you. I promise you. In all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. That's a little test for all of us. Am I doing this for me, or am I doing this for him? Yes, what benefits him benefits me. Of course. But is he going to benefit first? Find a place that centers on God's Word, and then you'll know. A place that can prepare you to produce fruit. A place that you can bring friends and family to that will get their souls fed and they become fruitful. A place that abides in Christ. A place that stays on and in Christ. I mean, the church world today is unsteady. The church world today lacks stability because it isn't abiding in Christ. It isn't adhering to His words, His commandments. The church world, particularly in America, is more concerned about filling the seats and then keeping them there, bringing in the people and keeping them there, not teaching the people, not nourishing them to produce fruit. when the people are the focus of a ministry, it isn't abiding in Christ. If the focus of a ministry is anything other than Christ, it isn't a solid place to be. Christ once said, Matthew seven twenty four. Therefore, whosoever heareth these things, these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. That's what abiding in Christ means. Hearing what he says and doing it. And if you do that, you're on solid ground good, practical, solid ground. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And if rain descended and the floods came and winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. When you abide, when you stay on the Lord, Jesus says you will Do good things for the kingdom. You will produce fruit. Now listen to me, by the way. We're not talking about salvation. We are not talking about doing something for your salvation. It's doing something with your salvation. You got it? This is after you get saved. I said earlier on that John 15 is for those that are saved. When I said, if someone wants to know what it's like to be a Christian, tell them to read John 15. This is what happens after you get saved. This is your responsibility. This is your operations manual after you're saved. Salvation is the precondition of what Jesus was talking about. I mean, it's axiomatic. You will not produce fruit unless you're in the vine. There's not a branch on earth separated from the vine that can produce fruit. Until you are attached to the vine, you will do nothing with your life. Nothing. You may think you become famous. You may think that what you're doing makes a difference. You may be a world-leading cancer researcher. You may be feeding the poor by millions. But if you're not doing it as a part of the vine, it produces no fruit. Salvation is the precondition of producing fruit. How do I know? Jesus said so. It was a part of the entire discourse he said verse 3 now ye are clean through the word which i have spoken unto you he's talking to those that are already attached to him the true vine the jews that rejected him were no longer able to claim to be a part of the vine because they had severed themselves from him that's why he's the genuine vine the true vine same thing with christians There are churches that claim to be Christian that have detached themselves from the word of God, Jesus himself. And now all they're doing is floating on a river headed toward destruction. This is a conversation for those that are already clean through the word which he has spoken unto them. In other words, you've already committed your life to Him. That's important for you to understand. Don't get confused because it's easy to do so. Because we're talking about doing stuff. We're talking about works. We're talking about actions. But these works, these actions don't save you. That's already done. These works are meant to increase the kingdom. These works are meant for you to realize what God saved you for. He didn't save you to sit on a fluffy cloud. He saved you to work. These works are meant for you to produce fruit when you are abiding, when you are staying on Christ, when you are hearing Him and doing what He says, you will bring forth much fruit. You will be a useful, productive branch on the true vine and you'll find joy like nothing else. Now, Jesus makes clear that there are actually two types of branches, even with those attached to the vine, ones that produce fruit and those that don't. Branches that produce fruit, branches that don't produce fruit, even among the saved. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Let me just say quickly, every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. Even those branches that do produce fruit, he cleans up. That's what that word means. He purges. I've told you many, many, many times before, you cannot move forward in this relationship If you carry with you the sins he died for. If you were a bank robber, he died for your sins of bank robbing. Once you're saved and acknowledge that he saved you from bank robbing, you can't go back to bank robbing. That's the purgeth part, that's the cleaning away. Jesus and the husbandmen do the cleaning away every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. He's talking about the husbandman. The husbandman will prune the branches. He will prune off those branches that are just kind of squiggling out. Why? Why on some of the branches does he clean off? Does he prune off the extra? Because those Those things that he pruned away, those things he cleaned away, take away the energy from the fruit producing. If you continue to be a bank robber, your bank robbing tasks, your bank robbing will rob the branch of the energy That's necessary to produce good fruit. You see, you can't be a bank robber and produce fruit. That's why he saved you from them. But try as you may, you're not going to save yourself from bank robbing. He must purge it. He must prune it. Here's where the analogy breaks down. You must be willing. You must be abiding. You must be hearing what he's saying and doing it in order for the pruning to work. Otherwise, every branch of me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. If you're not abiding, if you're not allowing the pruning, now, There's been a big rift in the church about predestination and free will. I believe in free will. I believe that human beings can resist God. And I believe this is proof text. You can resist the pruning. You can resist the cleaning. Oh God, I hope you help me to communicate this. If you resist the pruning, if you resist the cleaning, if you don't allow the bank robbery to drop off, then you're going to be a branch that doesn't bear fruit. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. To this very day, when someone who is cultivating a vine notices a branch that's not producing fruit, that branch is removed. It's taken away. And that, again, the reason for the removal is a practical one. The useless, non-producing branch is taking up precious nutrients that could be better utilized for the branches that are producing fruit. Does that mean I'll lose my salvation? No, it doesn't mean that. What does it mean? You will be removed. You will miss out on the joy of being a productive branch. Now, that may not mean anything to you now. You may think, great, I'd rather not get involved. Go ahead and take me away, God. Please don't say that. Christ is going to judge us on the things we've done in the body. That's what Paul told us. That's for us. That's for the saved. Jesus is going to hand out rewards and position, I believe, based on what we did for him, based on whether or not we were a productive branch. That's what this means. If you're not productive, He's going to move you aside and put you where you'll find no joy. You were created and saved to serve Him, and that's where your joy is. You will find no joy anywhere else. As a matter of fact, if you're not saved, don't even bother if you don't think you're going to want to serve God. Don't even bother. You're not going to be happy. Unless you produce, I'm so miserable, John, I'm so unhappy all the time. I know that I'm a saved sinner. I know that, but I'm so unhappy. Why? Am I so unhappy? What are you doing for Christ? Well, I you know, I'm busy, you know, I, I work ten hours a day, I get home, I gotta feed the kids, I put them to bed, you know. I'm busy. You can't write a little check to a ministry that's helping you. You can't read Bible stories to your kids before you put them to bed. You can't call a friend who's lost their mother yesterday and give them a little encouragement in Christ. Tell them about what Christ can do. Ask them to come to church. You can't take 15 minutes to ask someone to go to church with you. Trust me, the more you do it, trust me, the more you do it, the more you're going to want to do it. God trusts us in the small things in order that he give us give us big things. That's what the parable of the talents teaches us. Little by little, give you little things to see what you'll do with it. And if you do well, he'll give you more your joy will grow. If you're going to sit there like a bump on a log, as my mother used to say, you'll never be happy. You'll never be happy as a Christian. You'll not experience the joy of Christ that you heard so much about before you got saved. Unproductive branches are removed, and it actually gets worse. If a man... Abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Listen, I realized that part of the reason our ministry doesn't grow is because I bring this stuff up. Listen, it has to be said. God is not a cabana boy with a towel draped over his arm, waiting for your drink order. God is the God of the universe. He is the husbandman, and he's looking for productive branches. This message and the entire mission of Chapel Ministries is to get you to realize that you are risking elimination if you do not produce fruit. Now, does that mean, as I said, if if I'm already saved, I lose my salvation? No, we've made that clear. I know this sounds ominous, I know this sounds scary, but it, it's meant to be a warning. Let's focus on how to avoid this ominous verse. Let's not focus on what's going to happen to us. Let's focus on how to avoid this trouble. Christ says to avoid becoming a non-productive burn branch, we are to abide in Him. Stay in Him. What does that... I really don't really understand what that means, abiding in Him. We have some very dear friends that are ethnically Greeks, They were born and raised in America, but their parents came here from Greece. They're lovely people. Well, sometime back, my friend's father died. It was very sad because this is one of those families that's kind and sweet and loving to one another up and down the ranks. They appreciate each other, and when one is gone, it's deeply felt. Well, on the day that Modern Greek people, particularly those in the Greek Orthodox Church, celebrated Easter one particular year. I had the occasion to be at an event with our Greek friends. Now, as you may know, the Greek Orthodox Church celebrates Easter on a different day than most of the rest of the Christian world. Anyhow, I respect the importance religion holds in people's lives, and when I saw my friend that day, I told him, happy Easter. Now, he seemed a little surprised that I knew that day was their holiday, and he, of course, gave me a hearty thank you. As with any religious holiday, of course, there are many special traditions associated with the Greek Orthodox Easter celebration. So, I asked my friend if they had any plans, and he looked at me a little sad and said no. He told me that Ever since his father passed away, he and his extended family just don't have much enthusiasm for practicing the old traditions. They were becoming more and more distant from what they were born into. My friend was upset that the family had become so detached from their culture. They no longer lived their culture because they were no longer close to it. They no longer abided in their culture. They were changing. You see, after a while, when you lose direct contact with who you are, you risk changing into something else. You must abide. You must. Maintain contact with who you truly are or you become different. In fact, you become more like those around you. Do you follow me? You're seeing the spiritual application. Abiding in Christ means maintaining your connection to him. He wants you to stay near. He wants to make sure you interact with him on a regular basis. Like no one else, he knows the dangers of this world. He's not advocating you sort of going on top of a hill into some monastic life. He was the one that said, go out into the world and teach the gospel. Go out into the world, but don't go very far in your spirit. Stay joined to him in your spirit. And if you do so, his life continues to flow in you, and that results in growth and fruit-bearing. You see, the branch has to stay attached to the vine. Now, the vine can reach out pretty far. It can go out quite a ways from the vine and still produce fruit as long as it stays connected. Well, how do I maintain contact with the true vine? You know what I'm going to say? Prayer, study and meditating on his word, regular worship and praise, heartfelt love for fellow man, wanting to spread the love of Christ. When you see someone, a thirst, give them water in the name of Christ. You don't have to say, here's some water in the name of Christ. That's not necessary. When someone says, why are you so nice to me? It's because I'm a Christian. And I'm just being what he is because he's in me. I'm abiding in him and he's abiding in me. And what I am is coming out because I am now a new creature, a new creature in Him. We are to stay with Him. That's how we get to know what He wants from us. He sends a Spirit to guide us when our, we, so that we keep our minds fixed on Him. Again, you're a new creature. Saved Christians have a nature. We have our own culture, so to speak. Remain in contact with that, and you will produce fruit. We've been called to the kingdom. Despite what you've been told in most of your churches, that's not simply for your selfish pleasure. The call of God carries with it responsibility. Jesus once said, Unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. You don't hear that much in church. You and I may never in this life fully realize what God's given us. But we know that our salvation must be precious because it sure came at a very high price. The Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords died in agonizing death for you and me. That alone tells me that much has been given to me. Therefore, of me, much is required. Today, with me, let's pledge to reconnect to the true vine. With me, find a way to reconnect with him. And in so doing, we'll bear fruit. In fact, we'll bear much fruit. You've been listening to Time in the Chapel, a weekly program dedicated to bringing you in-depth biblical study. Join us again next time as we search scripture to learn more about God in your life and you in his plan. Time in the Chapel is a service of Chapel Ministries. Chapel Ministries is a non-denominational ministry with a mission to feed hungry souls. Please consider supporting this program financially. For more information, please visit our website at www.timeinthechapel.com or email us at info at timeinthechapel.com. Be sure to look for us on Facebook by searching for Chapel Ministries. Click Follow to get all of the latest information.